0: Oh, here we are, episode 30 of Thelma and Tom Look Left. That feels like it's some kind of milestone, doesn't it? 30. Um, anyway, so, Thelma, i love to see you and, and how are you?
1: Yeah, I'm good, thank you. But more importantly, Tom, how are you? Because I know you've, uh, you've had Covid. Well, I have
0: indeed.
1: Yeah, how are you feeling?
0: I- I'm okay now. I mean, I was ill for a couple of weeks before I tested positive. Uh, open or mainly up, let's put that another way. I didn't actually take a test because it wasn't desperate. I just felt weird. And then one day it just whacked me. That was last Wednesday. I took a test and up it came positive. And, um, yeah, but it's, I was, I was quite bad for three or four days. Um, Mm. but this morning I felt great, took a test and straight away it just came up positive again. And I was absolutely shocked. But yeah, I'm okay, yeah. Thelma. I'm a bit vague, I've got to say. So, you know, if, <laughs> if I do get lost.
1: <laughs> oh, oh. You, you're crying out for me to respond to that, Tom. You? I'm not gonna fall. I'm not gonna fall in the trap and respond. To
0: that. <laughs> well, listen, Thelma, if I start talking about something totally unrelated to what we're talking about, we'll put it down to the uh COVID. But um Don't
1: we always do that, Tom? I think we always go off <laughs> that, don't we? I think, I'm not sure that'll be I don't think listeners will notice any difference. No, they
0: won't, that that's true. Time. To be sure, honest, quite, but I'm glad uh,
1: you're. I'm glad you're not too ill well with it. I don't. I don't know. Just recently, we know more people, uh, including our youngest son, who 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 had it than 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 in the first um, wave. Um, it seems, and yet, and yet, according to the media, you, you hardly hear anything about it. Um, it seems, uh, and I, I think a lot of schools are, are struggling, even though that doesn't seem to get a lot of publicity at the moment and I think um, my sympathies with the school staff and school leaders and college uh, you know uh, leaders who are who are having to sort staffing out and uh, provision for for students and pupils Um, another challenge that uh, not something when I was a head and teacher that I had to consider really but uh, I think one of the pressures I mean our theme our theme for our discussion today is education which um, I know we're both looking forward to and, and talking to our guest but um, I, th- I think that what's happening in education um, I mean I always enjoyed my career loved loved teaching um, but some of the challenges that have been faced recently for people in education um, I, I, I just uh, Unbelievable,
0: really, aren't they, Tom? Well, it's interesting. A couple of things on that, Thelma. My daughter said to, was speaking to my my wife Sarah last night on the phone, and she was saying she took her son to school yesterday. And as she was driving up to the school, she thought there aren't, don't seem to be many people about, and uh, he, and she said, "Have we got the wrong day?" And um, and he said, "No, this is this is how it is now." You know, people just don't bother coming anymore. after the teachers aren't here. No one knows what's going on. It's just, you know, and and this is a, a. I mean, I know he's exaggerating, but it's it's kind of going that way. And and the government are presenting this thing that you know all the schools are great and da 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 da. But the reality is they're falling apart. And um, uh, on that think- same subject. I just say that um, just before I came in to do the podcast here, Sarah said to me, uh, the white paper has come out about education. And one of the things I I haven't got the facts, but you might have read it. They're going to try and make the standard go higher, but they're going to make it more difficult to to do. You know, they're going to make the schoolwork more difficult at the same time as raising the standards. So they're going to make it even more challenging for the teachers and the kids.
1: Yeah, um, I've only had chance to kind of skim read, skim read uh, some of the specifics, but the thing that that really is so glaringly obvious to me is it's homing in on attendance behaviour, English and maths. You know, now, obviously, English and maths core skills, really important, but the attendance, you know, having having these local authority officers. Now, there's always been monitoring from local authorities on attendance. But just at the moment when I personally know of a number of parents and children that are really anxious about um, what's happened to their child or children over the last couple of years... Um, and through lockdown and remote learning and all of the things that teachers and children have had to adapt and adjust to Um, and to focus on this um, attendance levels and put teachers and headteachers under pressure to meet targets on attendance Um, and and the behaviour they seem obsessed this government with behaviour and I don't think with this government we're talking about positive behaviour management strategies which is my philosophy and belief and catching kids being good as I call it uh, rather than finding what they're doing wrong and it it seems to me that we're going for this very rigid uh, controlling behaviour systems, um, isolation booths And all all the things that are anathema to me um, and what education should be about and nurturing kids uh, and making them resilient and all of those things. Um, And it seems that what's in this white paper is very much about control, very much about keeping kids in the place. Um, narrowing the curriculum, concentration on English and maths, which, I'll repeat, I know are really important, but what about that enrichment when kids have just come through, well, we're not through this pandemic, that's just it, and they keep talking about how school, uh, loss of learning through schools being closed, they were never fully closed, if if you remember the key workers, they were open for key workers, and more and more children were going into schools, and many staff still turned up and and then there was the move from uh, remote learning to um, actually on site um, learning and uh, a hybrid situation so the schools have gone through so much and and still still covid is rampant in in many schools. Um, and if you look at the difference, and I'm sure we'll talk about this with our guests, but if you look at the difference in provision in private education to, and funding, of course, that's come up very apparent, the gap between over the last 12 years, the gap between funding um, for private education and, and um, maintained schools. Um, and it just seems so unfair, the system. And I, I just don't feel we've got people who, understand and, and i would say even the opposition are just not coming out challenging the government on 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 their policies so i, I yeah I'm, even though it's you know a wonderful job i i i follow secret head teacher on on twitter on social media and you really do find the posts from secret head teacher are really giving the true picture for many not all but for many and what it's like to be a leader um, in schools at the moment and the challenges they face and uh, all the government seems to do is heap more targets and and narrow narrow learning opportunities and enrichment uh, as far as I can see it anyway Tom sorry end oh, of I the mean
0: moment. no no Thelma it's good to listen to you because I I, I, I do agree with you what I'm, I'm so struggling with is what are they trying to achieve, you know, and firstly, I don't know what that is. I don't really understand it and don't relate to it well I haven't really heard and secondly the the methods they're using to achieve it well it just uh it just well it's totally opposite to whatever anything I would ever do it, it's so it's almost inhumane, some of the stuff that goes on in schools these days, so yeah, speechless really yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah, I mean, I, my, my belief at the moment is that with state education, it's almost, uh, I mean, one of the proposals which the Tories have been after for a very long time is to extend the school day. Well, that really doesn't enrage me, to be honest with you, Tom. Oh, um, because the Tories, they just see um, state schools as providing childcare. You know, and they they know it's a popular thing with a number of parents, the proposal of extending the school day so that parents don't have to think about after school and wraparound care as they call it and before and after school provision. So extending the school day is always they've been pushing for this for ages. But you know, I was in education for 34 years, Tom, and at the hours you do, you know, committed teachers, the hours you do out of those, that kind of nine till four, as it were, um, the preparation for your lessons, the assessment that you have to do, the after-school clubs, all of those things. Teachers are already working, w- weekend, catching up on your marking and your planning, um, the hours people put in. Uh, anybody who's related to a teacher, even if you're not doing it yourself, will know that. And yet, the Tories are talking about extending It's so disrespectful to the profession, really. Um, and um, I'm
0: enraged by that as well. Sorry, another moment. No, no, absolutely. Uh, okay, we're going to get another angle on this whole thing now with our, our guest, who's uh, Nuala Burgess, who's Chair of the Comprehensive Future and uh, Campaigns for uh, Educational Beliefs. So, hello, Nula. Welcome. And thank <laughs> you. Hello, Tom. You.
2: Hello, Selma. It's an honor. It's an honor. I feel you're. <laughs> Bonkers to be interviewing me but what fun what fun oh
1: not at all I should declare an interest newla shouldn't I in terms of uh, at your chair of comprehensive future and I'm on the uh, steering uh, committee for comprehensive future and I have but to I, say one of, one of the most wonderful warm inclusive chairs um <laughs> I really enjoy the meetings uh, Nila, that's a
2: lovely you're... thing to say but can I say I'm particularly proud because I <laughs> invited you I think you're one of our top panelists so hearing <laughs> committee members. No, um no, it is a good group actually. It is a good group. I if let's kick off. Let you don't mind if I kick off with comprehensive future. Yeah oh, we'd is love that to all right. yeah, I'm sure yeah. our listeners
1: would love to know about yeah this.
2: well comprehensive future is is a really amazing group quite frankly um not only do we have this strong steering committee but we campaign against selective education. And I don't know how much Tom knows about this. We are against the 11 plus and any idea of any form of selection on ability, academic in inverted commas, ability. So the group's been going actually since 2002. Now, I only joined them, I'll be honest with you, in 2000, I think it might have been 14 or 15. But very quickly became really committed to this. My own research work, it was involved in selection at 16. And I could see all these parallels with the way people were being selected out, rejected, off-rolled, as, you know, the practices going on in grammar school. So I got very, very interested in it indeed. And then I did a little project for Comprehensive Future called A Tale of Two Counties, where we compared Buckinghamshire with Hampshire, comprehensive Hampshire, Selective Buckinghamshire, which runs an um, 11 plus. And just the research I did interviewing parents, interviewing teachers, tutors, 11 plus tutors, and then looking at data, you know, like 11 plus results. And it's quite clear that actually Hampshire was doing absolutely fabulous stuff with its comprehensive schools. More young people were achieving better results than Buckinghamshire, who were selecting and were boasting. Their results with grammar schools but of course what they were doing were boasting results for a very small minority pupils anyway so that's how I really got my feet under the table and then I don't know I always say oh, well nobody else would do it but they asked me to be chair then back in 2018 I believe and we have had some very very interesting campaigns we campaigned very strongly against Theresa May's expansion of grammar schools through satellites we've well, we're on an ongoing battle now because there's been rumours of expansion, as you've probably heard of. We're big on the horrible industry of coaching. I mean, it's absolutely vicious, and there's a league table of coaches in every selective area. It is really awful. But the most interesting project, I think, and Thelma might be able to chip in here, is we have created an interactive map. Now, have you seen the strike map? thats I'll be honest with you. All credit to StrikeMap, that's where I got the idea. When Joe and I were trying to devise, how are we going to do this? We've got all this data, all the kids on free school meals who are in one school, no kids on free school meals in another, in the grammar schools. All the statistics for young kids who come from fee-paying prep schools, getting into grammar schools. You know, There were all these horrible facts and figures about grammar schools that nobody could access. So we thought, how do we get this out to the public? So we create. Well, I saw Strike Map. I'll be honest with you, and I was so inspired by what they were doing. You could just click on a map here, click on a town there. I thought we could do that for Comprehensive Future, and the kind of I call it the Hit Map. Let's not call it a Strike Map. A Hit Map, map of every selective school, every selective area in England. Mm. You name it, you name it. Comprehensive Future has all the facts and figures as every grammar school, all its entrance figures, the fact that some of them are more selective than others, the fact that some of them have extraordinarily low rates of disadvantaged and kids would send, you know, all sorts of things. You go on there, Tom, and we, you can find out what's going on. And what's really interesting is that we compare to schools that are non-selective in the area, so you can really get a feel of the sort of injustices
1: of grammar schools.
2: I mean, I think it's great personally, but I would say that.
1: Yeah, well, I, you know, I again, I'll second that, Mueller, and just think what's important about that interactive map is educating everyone. Because if you don't go through that system or you don't live in a selective area, yeah. you, you're not aware of the impact yeah. on the the areas around and the children. And, the, and that idea of the community as well yeah. and children moving out of their community and not being with their peers yeah. um, is significant as well in terms of you know my philosophy of a good school yeah. for everyone. Out yeah. in every community and it's 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 breaking into that too so I, I, I you know I love being a member well you're of very the
2: you're conference. very good Salman it's really lovely to have you it's also really useful because you've been a head teacher not everyone on the steering committee has actually I mean I've taught you've taught but not everyone on the committee is we all bring our different strengths perhaps I should say that and we'll get back to the map if you want to but some of us have been in education, I research, and I think collectively we're a very, very, very strong group. I think I we mean, learn
1: from we... each other as well, New. Yeah. Isn't? I think yeah, that's, I that's do. the issue. I think it's learning from each other and um, I, I know one of the things that Tom and I wanted to ask you... Oh, you, yeah, yeah, go for it. Yeah, because yeah, basically, we, you know, the, this campaign group, you know, fantastic work that's happening and with other educational uh, campaign groups across the country. Oh, yes, yes. But what are your thoughts on what politicians are actually up to with our education service at the moment? I'm not just talking about conservative policy but but labor policy too what what are your thoughts on where education's going at the moment i mean we've got you know one issue massive issue of selection but the, the you know the new white paper uh, proposals have have been uh, announced just today but what what are your thoughts on the direction of education and the where politicians are well, first of all, I mean, I'm sorry, but what
2: policy? Labour? Labour? What policy? Anybody well, any ideas? Because I certainly don't know. And I, I you know, I'm not I'm not ill-informed. I'm, I'm not someone who doesn't take the time to read papers and to look at newspapers and to keep up with academic research. But where is Labour? Where is Labour? Where is the opposition to what's going on in education at the moment? I mean, I do feel very, very passionately about this, certainly during Covid. I would, could never have been more proud of what the NEU did to support teachers, to support pupils, the health and safety issues, mm. hey, the, hey. The, the lockdown, the online teaching. I, I can't, I, you know, I could get emotional here. I can feel my voice breaking. The NEU were outstanding, were outstanding, and they were the opposition to the government mm. with some really atrocious decision making. Okay, let's park that for a moment because we're meant to be over that now aren't we now, when it comes to where we are at the moment well I sometimes I, I'm sure you get this Selma, as a former teacher do you, do you ever think why why do I bother nothing seems to make any difference anymore this lot are hell-bent and with this lot I mean our Tory government are hell-bent on destroying on destroying education and on privatisation. It is quite clear what is going on. I feel we have to keep campaigning, though we have to keep chipping away. But where do I see it going? It looks awful. It looks awful at the moment. The only glimmer, the only glimmer of light is that I see that um, the white paper, I'm smiling here because I, I, it's a bit pathetic of me, really. It's got plans, apparently... You know, to raise all this English and maths with no extra funding. Of course, we're going to do all this. You know, no extra funding, extra school day, no extra funding, extra. Sorry, they were going to add hours, weren't they, to the school week and all this. The only thing I can say is that it's all got to be done by twenty thirty, Selma. We've yeah. got time for a revolution before then, haven't we? Really? <laughs> I mean, by twenty thirty, can you yeah. imagine? Can you imagine if someone said, uh, "I don't know"? Can well, I just ask you,
0: you, you yeah, sorry. Say the two things are that they're destroying the education system and and they're angling working towards privatization. Mm. Uh, I I get that, but why? What is the advantage of destroying the educational system? I can't. I well, don't get the, that.
2: Yeah, Tom, I, I my my partner, who's also in education, says I'm just naive because I do sometimes. I'm so. So my breath, breathless, had taken away with it. I think, but why would you do this? The only thing I can think is, as we saw, forgive me for going back to COVID, but we saw how, how you gave out contracts. If you have your finger on all the pies on the academy chains, on every contract with the photocopiers, with the dinner ladies, with the cleaning staff, is every single person at the top of that pyramid is a Tory. They're making a massive amount of money out of education. You know, look at the, forgive me without having to name names, look at the companies that supply the resources for examination and CPD materials. They're all Tory-led, they're all Tory-funded. So, you know, that's what's actually driving this. If you keep biting off bits and privatising it, and then handing it to one of your buddies so that you fund this, so that you take care of it, you are slowly eating away, eroding at a whole holistic system of education. It's getting really hard. Mm -hmm. And academisation, the maths, is a classic example of these. We've we've completely broken down any sense of schools serving their local communities. It's this massive organisation, and they move their ideas, their planning, their progression, whatever it is, to whatever part of the country they choose to like, irrespective of what the local community needs, what they've asked for. There's no reflection. It's just this ideology, and it moves like this monster around the country. I mean, mats really frighten me. I really resist those, but they're all, look at who's, I mean, I understand there are some apparently better mats than others. Most of them, though, are really driven by people who previous experience in hedge funds things like that
1: when you start picking away it's well i think the i think the fact that that most of the ceos of the mats have phenomenal salaries and and then you've got school budgets that are struggling some of these some of these um, academies are have become insolvent, just like businesses and this is now, the latest proposal is to pretend, I think. I think it's a con personally, but I need to look into it in more detail. Yeah. This idea of local authorities actually being able to open their own mats, etc. But my big question would be hang on, with academization, the assets from the local community are lost. So, what's going to happen to the playing fields belonging to those schools who are currently maintained? All of that. That's it's unpicking picking the detail of what they're trying to do. I think I think I'm sure you'll agree. Just to say some of the proposals I was talking to Tom earlier about, you know, this basic English and maths, which obviously core subjects, really important. Mm-hmm. But for me, as a socialist, it's almost like keep the working class kids in their box, get them in a blazer, and let them imitate the private schools, mm-hmm. let them do just the basics so they can serve the elite. Mm-hmm. That, that is the truth of what I feel is happening here it's don't let them question don't let them challenge in the classroom don't let them think for themselves well they, I think they're, that's they're what Matt's controlling yeah. yeah I think well, a lot of maths do that with their you know their
2: um their their ideology that goes wherever it wherever they plant themselves especially the idea of traditional values of discipline or whatever but the thing is I, can I get back to that idea about local authority somehow running maths? do you know what really frightens me about that is I, I actually, uh, Thelma and Tom, I, I'm not sure, I, I, I'm going to make myself unpopular probably here, I'm not really into local authorities running schools, I'd have regional areas looking after schools, I think the problem with local authorities is they're vulnerable to political influence, and I, I worries me, the idea of maths being in control, if you have a local authority, I wouldn't, the idea that some of the local authorities I know would run, some of them are better than others of course and then the idea of a tory run mad frightens me it frightens me so i really think that's you've got to be careful there so but that would be something i'd want to scrap but sorry I, i've gone off that long, just alarms me so much that i wanted to get in that i actually do think regional i know canada in ontario in canada has done a magnificent turnaround with with regional and you have school councils made up of parents and students and Mm -hmm. teachers and heads and the heads get rotated in the schools I think it's every three five years brilliant idea so the vision is Mm -hmm. we're all in this together we're not competing against each other because it's for the benefit of this community this region now we did it in the London Challenge Really successfully, we did this when schools were failing and they really and that was actually under the Blair government. That was an idea initiated, I believe, under the Blair government. All it was their vision originally. But the fact is that we raised, you know, attainment throughout Mm -hmm. London and that was through a collective pulling together no it's it's also
1: about investment though financial investment and if you look at the funding of state schools as compared to private schools over this last 12 years is that you know and 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 Zahari just yesterday was talking about oh well you know we've we've had we've had austerity we've had the crash we've had um and so basically implying that state education is subsidizing (laughs) what you know the cuts to it have have, Mm. schools have suffered in terms of lack of investment because of, of an economic crash and that should be the last thing that you know I have family who
2: are a long tradition of doctors in my family so the fact that you would cut education and health is just so such an anathema to me I, I don't know where that. I don't actually get how people think like that and that, that's a real block for me so I try my best to present for example, in my work, the evidence, but I fundamentally don't understand how you think like that. So, so like you, I don't, I don't get it when they bring up.
1: The no, I suppose if though newly you, you, your family and generations before you have always had the money to buy whatever care you needed, either for health or education, then mm-hmm. you, many would lack that empathy to understand, uh, you know, the, you know, kind of, welfare state and and but
2: but hang on a minute we've got a lot of people as you know and i know in the Labour Party and the Tory who were not born into money who who who, who, who've climbed up no excuse for them then well i'm sorry no No. i'm not giving the others i'm not giving the others a a, a cop out i'm not saying that but it is appalling it is appalling at the minute you know and we've got people like Brady and Gullet championing ideas of grammar schools just banging some little lonely drum And I mean, you just think, but what? I mean, Mm. I don't know, Gullis in particular is frighteningly ill-informed about education. I mean, it really is, you Mm. know, it takes your breath away. And yet suddenly he's a champion for grammar schools. What are
1: your thoughts thoughts about the proposal that Eton is going to um, open these uh, six-form free colleges or (laughs) six-form colleges uh, up north as part of levelling up? I mean, you it's can't repugnant. Make it make no, yeah. it's, it's repugnant to
2: me. There's all sorts of things that are wrong about this. The first thing is the idea that some posh, white, traditional public school would honestly think they could land. Again, it's ideology. Take their ideas to a part of the country as if, you know, that part of the country should be grateful. Should be grateful for these marvellous people. And the idea that you would want in there because you know better. Because you've done it down south for a bunch of privileged or you know boys in their winged shirts and all the rest of it. It's extraordinary. It's rep- and I have to say, and you will laugh at me, you've probably gathered my background. It's not as po- it's not posh, but I can hear people saying, good God, you know, this is the idea of it. And quite rightly, it's so nutty, it's so stupid. But more importantly, it's the idea of their entitlement that they somehow feel that they know they can go and do this. And we are all meant to, in the north be ever so grateful for this, mm. it's disgraceful. The other thing is, you know, Selma, we've argued this, I know we've talked about it in the steering committee, it's exactly the same problems as when you select for grammar school. The minute you do selection, you rob, you rob the surrounding schools. Mm. I won't call them a top layer, I think it's a horrible idea, but you upset the equilibrium, the natural ecosystem of the educational pupil profile in all the schools. So you feed one school, which becomes bloated with one particular type of student and one type of access, which is university. And then there's a kind of impoverishment of the other schools who have a disproportionately higher number of the moderate and low attainers. Now I've taught in schools, It was hard work, but I do know that in mixed ability, everybody does better. I know that for a fact. I honestly, honestly, I know it's easier to teach when you stream. That's Mm. what it is. I know it's easier to Mm. pull these resources into that stream or set those resources into that one and that it's cheaper. But if you really, really want to get better results for everybody, you mix ability and
1: everybody does better. Do you think it's a ploy as well to uh, maintain their charitable status?
2: Well, do you? Yeah, I, I mean, if, if I know that. They've they been it in it. The way it, yeah, their charitable status is definitely. But do you know what? For some reason, that wasn't the one that hit me between the eyes.
1: You're right, of course you are. But, that but if they expand them, if they were to expand them, if, yeah. there, if there was a move to take away charitable, they could say, hang on, we're, we're inclusive. We're, we're integrated into yeah. A yeah. Co- local communities. You're I think it's been a ploy. Yeah, no, you're right. You're absolutely
2: right. And and it, nothing prompted Eaton to do this 10 years ago, Thelma. So there's obviously something's in the air. I mean, you know what? they Suddenly some angel came down and whispered in their ear, did it or something? You know, where did this idea come from? Of course it is. Of course it is. And though I am not an expert on this area, I have very strong feelings. I know that the recent murmuring, you know, there was Labour Against Private Schools, there was Abolish Eton, all this. I know that, that that must have had a ripple effect. And of course they're shoring up their interests, of course they are. But personally, because perhaps I'm a less practical economist, the first thing that got me was the emotion of it. I was so appalled, so revolted, so repulsed by the idea that Eton would fly in and rescue these poor northern working class places that they know nothing about selma they know nothing about education in those areas their education ideology will not reflect the needs of that community they, they have no idea but they're just going to transport and actually it's just a brand isn't it let's be honest it's going to be another ugly selective academy type school it's going to be revolting and it's just going to have Eaton on it like you know you buy your john lewis sofa and we all say isn't that lovely to get it at john lewis it's just one of those it's a branding thing and actually i think Eaton should be ashamed should be Eaton should be ashamed of themselves not that i care about their brand and their image but it tarnishes it it's disgraceful yeah that's how I feel but you are right of course it is protecting their interests yeah Mm. absolutely and and they deserve they yeah they should be worried because come the revolution there won't be an Eton
0: And um, Nuala, that's uh, uh, twice in 20 minutes that you've mentioned the revolution.
2: I'm not even one of those really, you know, hard lefties. I I always think I'm a bit wishy-washy. I don't, I th- I'm absolutely <laughs> socialist. I will never call myself anything else. And I know the minute you say that, you lose all your Twitter followers, all three of them, you know. But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> I know, but I am no, I am left left. But I never think I'm that hard left. But I do. There have been recent times when I have actually found myself fantasizing the only way out of this, or a big general. What I want is a general. Well, well I
1: was just about to come general in. Strike. You you mentioned earlier, um, Strike Map UK, and I've been kind of uh, involved. Uh, or known of them, uh, they've been going just over a year, and um, I just yeah. thought, well, great idea! They're great. They're great. To coordinate to coordinate strike action, and it's quite interesting if you look at their interactive map at the moment. The most number of strikes that are taking place are in education. <laughs> it's an EU. My own
2: university is out on strike this week, and I want to put you know a big cheer up. yeah. yeah. I mean, and professors. Whoa! Let's hear it professor's
1: writing against mm, yeah. the pension well so, about pension injustice i mean you can see that especially for female yeah um, you yeah, know yeah. so i was looking at that um just today um but i think it's significant that you can see i mean we kind of semi-joke um about a revolution but you could you can have those a peaceful revolution and you can see that the strike action is growing isn't it we've got rmt as well this terrible situation with PO and how they've treated their workers mm-hmm. uh, pcs and you can you can see and and those on insecure employment as well independent uh, group action now um of people who again have been exploited mm-hmm. um and you, that, when we get, we get, talk about this cost of living crisis but i don't think we've seen anything yet
2: No, I know, I know. And I I must admit, if I could bring it back to education, because I don't feel, I do have my politics, it's quite clear, but I don't feel any expertise I have, such as it is, is in the politics of work and employment. And I feel this is an area which is a separate debate, but I'm with you. And when teachers are using food banks and nurses are using food banks, There's something very well. This is where
1: there's
2: something very. The
1: intersection is is there, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's biggest in education at the moment, but I think Mm -hmm. it is about the workforce wherever that be in a professional Mm -hmm. organisation or or not. Um, And I think just relating to what we were saying about people taking collective action in, in schools, and usually my experience of schools. And and colleges for the time I was there is 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 very much it's the last resort. for okay. people. No, I'm no, because we out of because
2: of the pickets, there were weeks when you didn't teach. It's only this term I'm teaching, and and you just I can't tell you what it's like. The guilt I felt towards the students and towards, but I wouldn't let the guys down. Of course not. Of course not on the picket if you couldn't be out there. You can't, and that's to be honest they're big enough and ugly enough master's students you know I'm not being rude to them but in a school in a school to make choices like that that's just awful it's awful and to be pushed like nurses and doctors when they have to strike you know this this you've been pushed these are people who naturally work for the better We do not do this for money we Mm -hmm. do not do this for money we naturally work for the betterment of everyone for people's well-being be it educational health be it you know your physical health there is absolutely no way it's completely you know contrary to one's whole ethos to want to go on strike and deny someone their education deny someone their health mm-hmm. I mean it, it is it's awful but do you know I was going to go back you asked me something way back and I'm sorry I don't feel I addressed it properly and it was about where we're going and what we were do. and one thing I would say when I was thinking about this this talk with you and Tom I was in Finland I've only been once I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on Finnish education and everybody always wheels out Finnish education but what I did do when there was visit the school and I also got to meet activists and and the teachers what was wonderful the one thing they kept telling me because I said well how are you how did you ever peel back and start reshaping shaping and all they said you have you have to all be unionized everyone every single teacher one union one union and you work with your government Finland has got to the stage now and this is something that really I I just keep thinking about it where the government would consult with the union before implementing policies because if you've got the teachers on board Mm. your policy will be successful no resistance no strikes, everybody wins. The idea of working cooperatively with the government on education in England, and forgive me, even under new labor, it's just completely alien,
1: completely alien. There's got to be the political will you know, the vision, uh, not just for education, because education, I mean, you'll know what was head with, of the school, the Shore Start Centre. Education is, it's about public health as well. It's about so many different agencies. Mm-hmm. And if you don't invest in all of them, you're not going to deliver realistically so it's it's it is very frustrating one thing um i mean tom you 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 must have some time to ask a question but i i just wanted to ask you about this um recent criticism of or, or or tightening the reins as it were about freedom of speech in the classroom when there was some criticism of boris johnson how do you educate and my partner peter was a politics teacher and
2: I, I mean, I always declared my spots and that was one of the good things because even, and I had a stint in a private school, by the way, i I, or I always come clean about that. People need to know that about me, but they knew I was on the left. Mm. And my job was to educate them, not to change their minds, but they must see the alternative view. It's absolutely crucial. Now, so I love teaching things like the social and political context of a text, my, my discipline was English. And it was really important to me that students understood the, the context out of which work, poetry, literature, novel arises. It doesn't come out of nothing. It arises from a movement, a time, a collective thinking, and a collect, you know, a politics. But they knew my politics. Some of them sneered me for it, but that's okay. And some of them were curious. That's okay. And some of them would ask questions, that's even better. But it was important. They didn't always meet views that they heard necessarily at home. They needed to hear, look, that's what happened to me. That's what happened to me. If I had bitten off, chewed and swallowed all the rubbish I used to hear in my right-wing home, it's important, and I thank every day For the most inspiring teachers I had who scooped me up and rescued me, I was booted out of this private school unceremoniously, went to a fabulous comp. What more can I say? I'm not perfect, but by God, it just woke me up. Do you know what's really awful about this story? And I tell people it occasionally. I had never, I'm going to tell you this and you're going to be so shocked. You can cut it if you want to. I had Mm. never mixed with a working class person. I'm so ashamed of this. I had never socialized with anyone from the working class before I went to my comp. The only working class person I knew, I'm really ashamed to tell you, because you can probably feel the emotion, was the person, the women who cleaned our house and who worked in our garden. I'm ashamed to tell you that, but I'm so glad really, because it's kind of, you had to know it come out of it to be able to see what all that is I can't explain it in better terms but I I just hadn't known that because I'd been sent to private schools it was a bit late at 16 but wasn't I
1: lucky wasn't I I lucky I think sometimes on the left that there is um, it's almost like an inverted snobbery. I call oh, it. Oh, where that. Tolerance. oh, yes there's a, a, a lack of tolerance for anybody if they're pop, mm. sound posh, or you know they can't be a socialist, or they've got a big house, so they can't be a socialist. And I always quote, "Look at Tony Benn. Look at the inspirational Tony Benn, who came from the background he came from, and yet spent Don't his whole life committed yeah. to equality." And that narrow view it isn't for me acceptable in a way. I think we're beings, and it's that my strive is for everybody to have yeah. a quality of life. That's the important thing. A Not generosity. everybody would agree with me.
2: No, still. I know. Um, but the, do you know what? Because of a research project my partner's on, a lot of people of faith, the Muslim faith, feel the left, they feel very alienated from the left because they have faith, mm. they have a religion. And I didn't know that. It was a really sobering thing to discover that many people don't feel they have a place. They certainly haven't felt a place in the Labour Party as Muslims, which really shocked me. Obviously, this isn't going to be speaking about every single Muslim, but certainly a generation of young Muslims. I've had the privilege of working with and knowing and my partner would tell you that. To be a socialist and have a religion is a really difficult thing. People don't accept you. So it's kind of a difference, Thelma. It's not even just class. It's kind of class and religion, possibly, for some. I'm not going to say universal. But, oh, yes, I think that's very true. I think there's been a kind of model of how to be left, how to do leftism. And you are a certain. And there's great kudos. I mean, my partner was born into a Labour-supporting family. He grew up. With left-wing politics around the table, and and that and that, that's a sort of entitlement, if you don't mind me saying. To, now, to me, that's a privilege. But some people don't seem to understand that other people come from very different walks of life, but want want to be part of it. And I just think, you know, that generosity.
1: We we should we've got
2: to be inclusive. We've got to allow people.
1: I mean, obviously I'm from a very working class background but I, I do when some people on the left you know somebody uh, obviously from a, a very wealthy background gets involved in a discussion it's an immediate kind of well they can't but they can't believe the same as I do they can't want the same thing as I all, but some and that intolerance and lack of inclusivity I yeah. think is
2: Tom, yes. is there anything? You're very quiet. Tom, do you know what I'd like to know? I'd like to know where you went to school and where well, you're from. I think, ask you?
0: I think you'll be fascinated to know where I went to school because um, I went to a grammar school in Buckinghamshire. and yes. um, <laughs> And um, I've been to uh, three reunions there over the last 20 years. Or 30 mm-hmm. years and it's it's uh well it's something else really because you go into Come on,
2: this... oh, come on, you've got to tell me. Let's but, please well, what grammar is Royal did you... Latin
0: School in Buckingham. It's that they're, they're they're desperate to be a, a public school, <laughs> they were desperate to be a public school when I was there. And um they turned me into a, a lefty basically almost instantly. Yeah. Uh, but I yeah. was I I was in a minority. And when I go to what? the unions, I'm still in a minority. I'm no, in- um,
2: Tom, wear it with pride. And I think, actually, I was very conscious at my private school, which was a boarding school. Oh, I'm sure that's where the antennae started twitching and I started to see things. So I am with you. Michael Rosen, of course, it has a similar story to yours. Have you read his autobiography?
0: No, I haven't. I must
2: read it. Oh, please read it. Brilliantly funny for a start about being a kid in a school. That's another thing. But And and also, I don't think you'd find this rude. What, you know that kind of stroppy teenage political boy you get? Well, I know them as I talk boys. Um, anyway, you must read it, Tom. He shares that kind of, he was a grammar school boy who was definitely rebellious. So it worked. But he had a group of friends. And I think some of us it makes us, doesn't it? We can be anti-script, Tom. We can be anti-script.
0: Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I learned so much there and uh, but not, not the stuff they were trying to teach me, but I learned so much about life. And the interesting thing about the Royal Latin School is that there's only a hedge between the Latin School and the secondary modern. So, when you're at junior school, what was called primary school and and you were there with your mates, and in our primary school, there were only two of us that passed eleven plus, mm. and the other seven I think went to the secondary modern so you're there with your in in your in your kind of posh school, and over the fence at playtime are your mates, and we weren't allowed to go and talk over the fence; it was against the rules of the school we weren't- you know we basically were. Told right from the off that we were the cream of the crop, that was the, the words they used. And, and I mean, as soon as they said that, it was just like I I, I knew then. Uh, anyway, there you are. That that's an interesting thing. But um, well, actually,
2: Tom, do you know what that story that you tell, and I find that painful to hear. I get it, totally, totally understand it. We are, we still hear stories like that at Comprehensive Future, where mm. friendships. Kids in primary school, they take their 11 plus and there's this kind of parting of the waves. Yeah. I, one mum described to me how one side of the playground, kids had passed the 11 plus and the other side, they had failed. And and there was this kind of, they started to have their own little identity immediately as the pass or fail. And actually friendships broke up and that's what's painful. That's what's painful. Primary school friendships and very few survive it. That's what's another awful, awful thing. So, Tom, your experience, I won't ask how old you are, but <laughs> wow, we're 20, 22, and we're still doing this stuff?
0: Yeah. It's just awful. It's so awful. i just ask you this, then. Uh, you talk a lot about what's wrong, uh, and we all do, don't we? Uh, what I like to really also get to is what's right here, what would be right here because and for me the first thing when I think about education and obviously I come I live on the edge of society I don't get involved too much in stuff when I had to send my kids to school um, but I I won't go near uh, authority if I can possibly stay away from it and, um, and that's how I've lived my life right the way through and I still I call
2: you an anarchist
0: Tom well, I don't know. That's another. That's another podcast, isn't it? And um, and
2: wear it with pride. <laughs> wear it with pride. I'd say Where it. With, yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, anarchy, an, anarchy
0: is a very broad spectrum, and it, and some of it's not very nice. But no, um, all
2: right. Yeah, yeah, um, all right.
0: Um, let, where am I going with this story? This is one of the things about having COVID. Is you go a bit woolly headed, even more woolly headed than I normally. You're do.
2: on the positives. I think. You oh yeah, yeah, yeah. On the positive, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Knows. So I that's what I idea. want
0: to, I think, when I look at something and I think, right, how should this be? I think the first question you have to ask is, what is it for? And that is my problem with school, or was my problem with school with my kids was, okay, what what is it for? Why am I sending them there? What are they going to do to my kids? What are they going to put in my kids' heads? And I've I had some nice chats with Thelma about this, and I, I really appreciate, if Thelma had been the headmistress of my local school, I wouldn't have had a problem sending my kids. Oh, yeah, really yeah. good.
2: Right, no, I, no, it does make <laughs> a huge <laughs> difference.
0: But do you know what I mean? You need to know, look, if we're going to design an education system, we need to know what that education system is for. Mm-hmm. And I don't think the politicians know that really. They, they tried to copy South Korea and Japan and all and turn the kids into robots. And all it's done is freak the kids right out, really. Um, well, we
2: have the highest rates of teenage mental illness, don't exactly, we, in Europe? Exactly. We, have, we have the most testing. We're actually the most tested
1: for every stage of education as well. But only well, if you look at the happiness index, Finland, Finland comes yeah, out Finland. every time, yeah. um, and just look at look at the education system, the welfare system there. Yeah. It's yeah. not a coincidence, is it? I mean, no, it's, it's not glaringly obvious what's what's missing. I think. I'm one thing I would say, though, in defence of uh, leaders in in the profession, is that many heads will still have brave heads will still hold on to that rich, broad, balanced curriculum and still hold on to positive behaviour management, despite despite what this government latest diktat is. And I have to have hope, when you were asking about positives, Tom, that I do think there are still, across the country, schools that have an ethos which is inclusive and there is enrichment and it is broad and balanced and kids are allowed to question and have resilience and can be who they are and want to be and I I think that still exists and we have to hold on to that yeah I must
2: say I think I don't know whether I'm I think primary schools a lot of primary schools are still I think it's hard of a secondary school somehow I think there's Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. another issue but I know that I live around the corner from a primary school and every day I go for my three mile walk to make sure I'm not at my desk doing mm. it all and I just think I love it you hear singing you hear kids playing you see them gardening you see them gardening mm. it's there's book sales outside you can bring and buy your own oh, it's just mm. a wonderful wonderful primary school and I have to say I someone was asking me recently you know are oh, because we live in a flat actually but some of it's very posh around here but we're in it just downstairs flat. you know would, what would you say about coming around here we're thinking of buying and and they um i said well i'll tell you because she's thinking of marriage i said just check out the local school i said honestly i know i'm being one of those people, but it's such a great great mm-hmm. school that if i were a mum, that's what i'd want for my child and it mm-hmm. is as you say and you know what's lovely because this is an area which borders a lot of different ethnic minority groups it's the one good thing you know it's got a very posh end but we're incredibly diverse that primary school you've got the kind of united nations down there trooping in and out it's just great and that's education for me where it's inclusive it's exciting it's enriched you know you have all the learning you know that's going on because they're coming out clutching their homework and exercise books and they're doubling away with their conversation about what they've done in sums, but they are also doing so much else. And I Mm. do think secondary school, we've robbed teenagers. I'm passionate about teenagers, but I am absolutely... Because primary schools are such lovely little things, I think we tend to overlook the demands of teenagers. I think we've really hard on our teenagers. You know, I Mm. really think they get done down. They are hothoused. They never get the chance. I mean, I was a lucky young woman to be in a comp where we did a bit of car maintenance, jewellery making. I did gardening for old people. I learned a bit of history of art. I even learned a bit about town planning because they believed in this idea of comprehensive education where you did everything. And because I was doing A-levels, I mixed with all sorts of people who were doing things like, in those days, typing and and, and more practical. I think one was bookkeeping, for goodness sakes, but I wouldn't have normally met the young people in that school doing that. But because we all did gardening for the local old people's house, and, and some of us did a bit of car maintenance all chipping in together, and some of us did a bit of whatever it was, and film clubs and things like that, We all got to mix, so you didn't ever feel this divide between the academic and the vocational. My point is this just as that wonderful little primary school with all its bubbling love and learning and all the fun, I just think you could do that for teenagers too. I'm not being twee here, but they need they deserve a richer diet, they deserve it. Is possible,
1: I I agree with you, but but I, I, one thing that one pilot scheme before I left full-time education was was that moving staff from the secondary teachers going into the primary year five and six in particular and younger sometimes and vice versa to give them that experience you know just those shared skills expertise it is it is possible Um, and I think and on that Selma I would
2: this beastly examination i would have project-based assessments so that you did coursework project work and a bit of examinations if you have to but you did a whole package of assessments mm. so it mm. wasn't just this pass fail or grisly, yeah. grisly system of exams not
1: preparing think, for life is it very it's often it- not. Just not not them for life and i think we could talk forever on this we 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 could we could could. and i suppose
2: now i suppose now we've started to talk very seriously haven't we about
1: the sort of things we should be doing for education and i should have well well yeah but i think i think probably another podcast for this but what the point i think needs to be made is what we said earlier that the politicians and the people who are making these decisions and not engaging with these discussions they're not they're not not speaking to the people who understand learning and how children and young people learn. But Selma
2: we don't have any MPs who who genuinely how many MPs have been in education how many MPs been teachers how many actually know what it's like Mm. to stand in front of a classroom and deliver a a class how many of them know it seriously? Not many. Or, or, or some old duffer is looking back on his glory days at some, forgive me, Tom, some grammar school. Actually, Thelma, you're a grammar school girl. Yes. <laughs> but, you know, these old duffers who, who kind of s- still think these were the glory days. And that's what they're trying to model our modern education on. That's the other thing that pulls me. OK, yeah, maybe another podcast. You okay, have so I'll like like to, uh,
0: to the listeners... <laughs> Uh thank you so much for putting up with our podcast. If you've got this far, uh we we had a right laugh You're going
2: to edit um, this, I hope. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's been fun listening and um well I think uh, you're thank very
2: you generous so much,
0: Nula, and and we will get you back again to talk about <laughs> the actual how we want to do it.
1: Thanks very much okay. uh, Thank you,
0: thank so, you. Much. Thank so much. Thank you very
1: much
2: guys. It's been an uh, absolute thanks. pleasure. Yeah, take care. Bye-bye.